Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving at New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet and make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone, everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. This is your host, Pamela Clark, with another episode of Education in the News. So I'm going to share some news stories with you from anywhere and everywhere across the U.S. and across the globe. Whatever I have uh, to share, I will share from those locations. So welcome back, Um, and we're going to get right on into it. And if you have any suggestions for the show or um, feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can always email me at newheightseducation at yahoo.com. And uh, our website for organization is newheightseducation.org. And our radio show is radio.newheightseducation.org. So uh, the first bit of news that I have for you is from PND News, the Foundation Center. And it uh, reports that John Hopkins has received $50 million gift for physics and astronomy. The gift from investor William H. Miller III will fund three endowed professorships, 10 postdoctoral fellowships, 10 graduate research fellowships, a cohort of senior and junior level faculty lines. And it will also research infrastructure, excuse me, um, infrastructure such as laboratory equipment and um, other instruments to help advance key areas of the physics research. And Miller's commitment also served... um, well, there's other two other donors as well, anonymous donors that donated $25 million. So if you'd like to read about this article, you can visit uh, philanthropy, I say it wrong, philanthropythenewsdigest.org, excuse me. It's um, P H I L. A N T or H R O P Y newsdigest.org. Okay, so 
Um, and then the next bit of news is from the same place, and it reported that Morgan Stanley launches $20 million, $20 million in education and career initiative. The Equity in Education and Career Consortium aims to advance equity in education and career outcomes for young adults from underrepresented groups. I discussed on um, my last episode when on the critical race theory about equity, and, and you may want to learn a little bit about that or listen to that episode, and then you can look into this if you're interested. Again, it's from that same site. Also from Smart Brief on EdTech, we have some announcements from them. They have a um, an article that the full story was just, was reported on Ed Surge, and it says how Google is expanding access to book collections. Almost 20 years ago, Google embarked on an effort to create a mass digital library, a novel idea at the time. In this interview with Rod Roger, excuse me, Schoenfeld, program director at the nonprofit Thaka S Plus R, discusses the background of the endeavor and what can be learned from it today. To learn about this, you can go to edsurge.com, and it's titled The Surprising History of Google's Push to Scan Millions of Books, Millions of Library Books, excuse me. And let me see if there's anything else I want to share about this. Okay, I guess not on that. Um, also, commentary on data from teachers input led 2021 EdTech trends. The data's ability to better inform teachers about learning discrepancies and to personalize lessons is just one of the takeaways from the pandemic that will continue to be used as an educational tool. PowerSchool CEO Hardeep Galati writes in this blog post, educators also have shown ed tech companies the value of working in concert with teachers to produce stronger, more useful products, Gelato says. You can read the full story at Smart Brief and then backslash education. <clears throat> also from the same brief, they report that teachers use brief tutorials to support learning. Teacher Tan Hoon was able to clone himself by adopting video tutorials in the classroom. In this blog post, Hoon shares how he records short videos no longer than three minutes to explain complex tasks. You can learn about this on Middle, middle Web. It's middle, you know, with capital M, and then... It's one word, but the W and web is capitalized, so middle web. Okay, just a moment. 
Also, from the same brief, some states move to increase teacher pay. More states are taking steps to increase teacher pay, including Alabama, Arkansas, Colorado, Florida, Indiana, Kansas, Maine, Mississippi, Montana, North Carolina, and South Carolina. The Education Commission of the states reports 22 states have passed legislation on teacher compensation and another 21 are considering a similar move. The full report or full story can be read at K-12 Dive. Let me get you the exact address. It's K-12 Dive, no space or anything, uh, .com. K-12 Dive, excuse me, .com. And you can, you know, just, I'm thinking they have a search tool that you can use to look up. Some states move to increase teacher pay. Um, also, emerging technology in schools. Internet of Things technology increasing is a part of the way teachers teach and students learn. Josh Harris, a director of educational technology at Alusol Union School District in California, says Sym Symphony Classroom by Merlin Mind, a digital assistant for the classroom, is among the more promising examples of IoT being used in schools. You can learn more about this on EdTech. Okay. Also from Middle Web Smart Briefs. Okay, sorry. I have a lot of screens up and sometimes they do repeats. Um, okay, so... Also, for teacher includes agriculture in social studies lessons. Agriculture is a natural part of many social studies lessons. From early hunter-gatherer societies to modern conservation and help te helps teach resourcefulness, says middle school social studies teacher Kendall Hayden. The Kentucky Farm Bureau has given Hayden an Agricultural Literacy Award for incorporating the subject into core courses. The full story was picked up by Owensboro Messenger Inquirer in Kentucky, if you want to read about it. It was dated 12 of 22. <clears throat> so, schools asked to teach digital citizenship. A recent social media trend that encourages school violence and destruction have renewed calls for schools to help enforce positive digital citizenship and responsible online behavior among students. LA's 10 states have adopted media literacy and digital citizenship legislation since 2015, according to the Education Commission of the States. You can read the Full story at k12dive.com. And uh, classroom innovation. This is under, again, the Middle Web's briefings that we here at New Heights. We get them by email. If you're interested, you could always sign up as well. But um, this is from um, Classroom Innovation. It says, Florida students urge 
leaders to take action on pollution. Fourth grade students at Florida Elementary School recently wrote postcards to Governor Ron DeSantos uh, and Miami-Dade County Mayor Danella Levine-Cava asking them to save Biscayne Bay. So I apologize if I mispronounced any of those. Teacher Melissa Martin encouraged students to write the leaders after they became concerned about the environment and pollution. The full story was picked up by WPLG-TV in Miami. I think I've shared this before. Um, I think it's been a while back, but obviously they're doing more stories on it. Uh, but it says, teachers use robots, 3D printing, and STEM courses. This is in Missouri. A Missouri middle school teacher, Jill Rosales, um, is using robots and building sets in her classes and aims to help interest young women in STEM careers. Rosales also teaches 3D printing and has students design and create products to be used by the school. The full story was picked up by the News Tribune in Jefferson City, Missouri. Okay, um, this is another one under middle grades, middle grades leadership. Principle, Historic Examples of Resilience is the title. There are several instances in recent memory when students rose above challenges, example, examples that offer hope for students who are living through the coronavirus pandemic. According to Michael Gaskill, a middle school principal in New Jersey, in this blog post, Gaskill references, references students who went through Hurricane Katrina who have thrived and a study of Google employees that found the most successful employees were those who experienced a trauma. Isn't that interesting? Anyways, the full story can be found on Smart Brief backslash education. So then there's another um, report. It says four ways educators can head off email bandits at the pass. Frank Buck revisits the Wild West movie days in his quest to help educators defy the daily deluge of unsolicited or redundant emails to steal their time. Get the details on how to circle the wagons, energize the Pony Express, and deny those entry into your inbox. Um, hold on, they don't give a website for that. Let me check. So it's at middleweb.com, and just uh, the title is Four Tips to Head Off Email Bandits at the Pass. It's written by Frank Buck, EDD. And let me see. Um, his four tips are unsubscribe, deflect at the town limits. And there is more information on that, obviously. And then there's also actually a, a video. But it says circle the wagons. Um <laughs> Okay, and then energize the Pony Express. So again, you you'll you if you go to that site, middle web, no space, one word, dot com, right? Middleweb.com, 
you can see all of those in the breakdown that he's given. Okay. Switching again. This is from the foundationcenter.org and now some of these, I mean, we're reporting on educational issues, but some of these, you know, I feel, well, it's part of science or it's part of everyday life. So I report some of these things as well um, because there's all types of students that come through New Heights stores and they have a lot of different interests. So if you think something's a little off topic, that's why. But here's one that kind of fits that. It's um, WUSTL receives $11.5 million for Alzheimer's disease clinical trial. The gift from Joan Knight, which includes $6.5 million in matching funds, will support a four-year clinical trial designed to determine whether early treatment can for, forestall the cascade of molecular brain changes that eventually lead to memory loss and cognitive decline. And let me get the, I know a lot of people are impacted by this, but WUSTL is the University, Washington University in St. Louis, and they're referring to the School of Medicine that's there. And you can read about this under the Philanthropy News digest.org and it's dated actually on Christmas Eve of 2021. You want to read about it? Okay, and then I think I might have shared this one before as well. But it says Bradley Founda Foundation announces $12 million in 2021 grants. A majority of the 2021 grants were awarded to organizations in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area that are working to strengthen institutions of civil society, such as families, education, the arts, and so forth. <clears throat> uh, another um, publication that we receive is um, from FEE, F-E-E. And this is a story, we'll, we'll probably be sharing this on our social media and on our blog, which again, newheightseducation.org, and then you can go and, and find the blog there. But um, there's actually an article by Brad Palumpo, which you may be interested in. It says, fake students, vacations for random Koreans, and fattening up ills Rand Paul exposes eight insane ways the feds wasted our money in 2021. So um, you may be interested in that. And um, let me see if I can get any type of statistics for you from the article. Okay. Well, I know you're familiar with, probably, or probably familiar with, with the um, billions that are being paid out to all different types of groups and entities 
and the Small Business Administration has paid billions themselves in improper loans, and Feds lost billions to unemployment fraud. So it, this report from Fee, excuse me, which is fee.org, um, it says the federal government's COVID-19 efforts were a scammer's dream. The Paycheck Protection Program was meant to help struggling small businesses stay afloat during the pandemic, but it sent an astounding 4.29 billion to ineligible businesses to duplicate loans. It even sent 3.6 billion of that money to businesses explicitly on the Treasurer Department's do not pay list, which includes known scammers, yet it didn't bother to check. Of course not. So, two, countless billions were lost to unemployment fraudsters during the expanded pandemic benefit system. But I will say, as a nonprofit, it was virtually impossible for us to get help. We, we received um, $10,000 that was under the Trump administration in the early days of the pandemic. And then we received um, another 1000 But that was supposed to, what, it's been, we're going into our third year of this now. But here, these people that are fake, fraudsters, are just being handed, you know, millions of dollars. And it's absolutely infuriating for me personally as well, because, you know, that the government says that they are for the people, they're for students, they're for people that think differently and that are for equal rights and all this stuff. But we've been around for, well, this June will be 16 years and I've been helping families for probably two years before new Heights was born at least. So, and I'm not, I, I'm not for, you know, new taxes for people. I don't think that people should be taxed or taxed enough, but I do think that our government should be covering costs of educating students and, and regardless of, the, um, you know, school choice that there should be money available to educate our students. And supposedly we pay taxes to that, but the local school administrations are the only ones that get that educational nonprofits that are cleaning up like ours, cleaning up after, you know, failed programs and <clears throat> students that are falling through the cracks we can barely ever get funded. So things are very upside down and topsy-turvy. So, and, and we continue to see that, but it is pretty infuriating that this has happened. Now, more for the article. It says, Baltimore school claims millions in federal funding for fake students that don't exist. Apparently, the federal government gives out more than 9000 and federal funding per student in Baltimore, Maryland. One school evidently decided to take advantage of this system, claiming $1.27 million in funding for 140 students who were not actually enrolled and whose whereabouts were unknown. Think about what I just said. Yes, that really did happen. 
According to the report, a city of Baltimore investigative uh, or investigation found some administrators were changing grades and padding enrollment with ghost students who were not actually attending the school in order to get more funding. Does that really surprise us, though? I mean, there's just corruption everywhere, everywhere. So, number three, New York City wastes millions in federal COVID funds on City Art Corps. The federal government's multi-trillion dollar COVID-19 stimulus efforts flooded the coffers of state and local governments with more money than they knew what to do with. This resulted in many absurdly wasteful programs like one in New York City where, where Bill Mayor, excuse me, where Mayor Bill de Blasio used federal taxpayer money to set up a city arts corps, paying artists to create public art and resurge the cultural scene. Number four in this article, billions wasted in Afghanistan. Well, we knew that, didn't we? Senator Paul's report documents billions wasted on jaw-dropping dump expenditures in Afghanistan. The U.S. reportedly allowed foreign nations to use military aircraft for free at a total expense of $773 million dollars and spent $549 million on planes that were later scrapped and sold for parts. The federal government also apparently wasted $2.4 billion on constructing buildings in Afghanistan that were left unused, as well as $88 million invested in building irrigation systems for Afghan farmers, only 2.7% of which were later used properly. You heard that right. <laughs> Again, check our site, because I know you're going to want to read over this, because it's just packed full of information. So, number five in this fee article. Five was millions spent on border security in other countries. Wait, what? What? There's a hot debate in American politics about how much money the federal government should spend securing our southern border. Yet apparently we already are spending hundreds of millions on border security in other countries. $250 million of your taxpayer dollars are going to building borders in Jordan, Lebanon, e Egypt, Tanzania, and Oman. The report notes, while Americans may be divided on how to solve the crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border, we should all agree that using our taxpayer money to fix someone else's border is not the best idea. You think? Wow. Okay, number six. 150,000 sending random South Koreans on vacation. Many Americans could use a vacation but can't afford one right now. Well, rest assured that the federal government is using their tax money to send random South Koreans on, Koreans on climate change vacations. Partnering with the United States Agency for International Development, the USAID, the United States Embassy in Seoul 
is allocating up to $150,000 in grant money to send 10 Koreans aged 15 to 30 to Washington, D.C. for two weeks to learn about climate change activism, the report notes. You know what upsets me about this one? Is they don't even do anything like this for families that are traveling to Arlington to bury our heroes. They don't cover hotel rooms. They don't cover stays. How do I know that? Because my grandfather has a tombstone in Arlington and I couldn't get any kind of support to be able to go to that. And I know that that's the least of our worries in the sense of our military personnel that are injured and need medical care and psychological care. Uh, they don't get all of the help they need either, but our government is throwing this money around where it should not go, should not be. And our people are suffering. I mean, we as Americans, which, and I know this is kind of debatable too, because Fauci was proven to have a hand in on the, the virus with China. And so America, I believe some Americans, I shouldn't say America, some Americans had their hand in it, but I do believe it came out of, you know, Wuhan lab. But American people, private people like me and you, we didn't cause this. We didn't cause any part of this, but we're still struggling. People all across America have lost their jobs. They can't feed their families. Well, then there should be no money going anywhere else until our people are taken care of. It's ridiculous. That's just how I feel about it. And I'm not going to apologize for it. So if somebody is appalled by that statement, well, I just don't care. So um, number seven in this, this article, hundreds of thousands to fatten up ills. What? What did I just say? Hundreds of thousands to fatten up ills, E-E-L-S. The Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, reportedly gave $337,500 to a Canadian company to fatten up ills for human consumption in an effort to boost the ill market. What was I just talking about? What was I just saying? So it's more important to feed ills than the American people or to take care of you know, our military personnel. That's what, that's what this is saying. You know, the priorities are all messed up. This is corporate war or welfare driven by somebody at the FDA who must really like eating ill, the report notes. Someone should remind the FDA that there are other fish in the sea. <laughs> Love it. Okay, number eight, billions lost in improper social security payments. At One Day University, 
We feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly scholar newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com. Other banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated, like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount, at any time. So you'll never have to jump through hoops. Unless you're like a trapezist, then by all means, go right ahead. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. At least the federal government is carefully stewarding our retirement money, right? Yeah, about that. According to Senator Paul's report, the Social Security Administration made 100,766 overpayments totaling nearly $4.2 billion that may not be fully recouped until 2049. Of this, the administration completely deleted and could not account for over $1.2 billion due to an error in their system. If we frauded the IRS in the way that they're defrauding us, we'd be in jail. Where is the accountability? It's just appalling. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Unfortunately, <clears throat> rest assured, this is this list is hardly exhaustive. The full depths of waste across trillions and trillions of dollars in federal expenditures can't be captured by one report or one senator's office. The above items and fifty-two billion are just the tip of the iceberg, indicative of examples that remind us how wildly irresponsible the government is with our money. But as Nobel Prize-winning economist Milton Friedman famously explained, that's a feature of the government, not a bug. Why? Friedman identified four ways money can be spent. We can spend our money on ourselves, in which case we have every incentive toward frugality and quality assurance. We can spend our money on someone else, or someone else's money on ourselves, like buying gifts or spending a gift card. In either scenario, some incentive towards frugality still exists. Yet Friedman outlined a fourth scenario, wherein someone spends other people's money on other people. In that scenario, there's really no incentive at all to spend frugality wisely. And that scenario perfectly describes most government programs. The takeaway here is clear. There's only one way to get the government to waste less of our money, and that's to give them a lot less of it in the first place. Well, good luck with that, right, people? It's not like we have control over our government. That would be nice, but yeah, not reality, unfortunately. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to be right back. 
Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying the New Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.newheightseducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store at new-heights-educational-group.myshopify.com. Welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. This is Pamela Clark, your host for this episode. And we're going to get right back into it. Um, This is from the Foundation Center. And it says CJI, which is the Circle of Justice Innovations Leadership Circle Fund, awarded $1 million to 48 grassroots organizations led by by people directly impacted by mass incarceration. So this group, the Circle of Justice Innovations out of Brooklyn, New York, and CJI is its oldest fund and includes activists, donors, and donor activists who work together to fund innovative and impactful organizations in the movement to end incarceration. To prioritize the perspectives of individuals who have been directly impacted by the system they seem to transform. The fund also works to foster the leadership of those who have had the most contact with the system. Grantees include the American Indian Prison Project Working Group, Daughters Beyond Incarceration, Maine Youth Justice, Migrant Justice and Justia, or I'm sorry, Justicia Migrants and Urban Survivors Union. 22 of the 48 recipients have been operating for more than five years. You can read about this um, at the philanthropynewsdigest.org. Okay. IU School of Medicine receives $34 million for child psychiatry. The gift will establish the Mary O'Donnell Stone and Bill Stone Center for Child and Adolescent Psychiatry to increase access to care for children and youth in Evansville, Indiana. Just a moment. At the IU School of Medicine, Um, and it says, it will work to increase care for children and youth of the region, and psychiatrists will conduct research at the center. With focus on bipolar and other mood disorders, in addition, the gift will endow three new chairs and establish a new fund to support six additional child and adolescent psychiatrists and fellowships. The center also intends to develop a real-world evidence data lake, a comprehensive data platform for psychiatric research and machine learning to identify promising and effective treatments. You can read the full report at the Philanthropy News Digest, and it's under IU School of Medicine receives $34 million for child psychiatry 
dated December 26th of 2021. Okay, just a moment, I gotta switch again. This is also from the Foundation Center. Um, for those of you looking for possible scholarships, uh, Jack Kent Cook, and that's Cook with uh, two O's, and well, Cook is like two O's in general, but I mean, it has the E on the end, so Cook with an E. Um, the Jack Kent Cook Foundation announces 2021 graduate scholarships. 80, 87 students will receive scholarships of up to $150,000 for up to four years of study, with five of those selected to receive Cook International Award, which grants funding up to $85,000 per year for four years of study. Let me get you the website for that. That is also on uh, Philanthropy News Digest, but you could look up Jack Kent Cook with an E Foundation, and I'm sure you would find how you can apply if interested. Also from the Foundation Center, the Denver Museum of Nature and Science receives $25 million gift. The largest gift in the history of the museum. 10% will be allocated directly to the museum and 90% will be used to establish an endowment fund. which will be allocated for initial staffing, equipment, and launch activities. Um, the 90% will establish an endowment fund in support of the museum's conservation work over the long term. The museum's science division collects and cares for natural history collections composed of 4.3 million artifacts and specimens, including significant objects in archeology span and ethnology, geology, Paleontology, Health Sciences, and Zoology. All right. Um, in D.C., the Public Library Foundation, D.C. Public Library Foundation, receives $2.7 million from Jeff Bezos. The largest ever gift to the foundation will support the Beyond the Book program, which is designed to improve the reading ability of children in kindergarten through third grade. Also, the Dickinson, Dickinson State University receives $10 million for the Roosevelt Center. The gift from Rob and Mulaney Walton Foundation will enable the center to expand its digitization and archiving efforts of Theodore Roosevelt's related materials, develop the center's website and digital communications, and enhance programming for K to 16 classrooms. Okay. 
for kindergarten, 16 classrooms. So, um, and then also uh, $20.1 million was raised to acquire the Honras Field Library Collection. The acquisition of the collection, which includes manuscripts and letters by Charlotte, Emily, and Anne Bronte, Jane Austen, Robert Burns, and Sir Walter Scott, as well as roughly 1,400 books by Friends of the National Libraries with donations from Leonard Blavonsnik, I know I said that wrong, and others will ensure that it remains permanently in the public domain and never lost to overseas institutions or private collections. <clears throat> also from the Foundation Center, the Templeton Foundation launches Youth Prize in honor of Jane Goodall. And um, our organization, by the way, is a partner to them, and um, they've supported us over the years. But this is uh, the Templeton Roots and Shoots Prizes will recognize and support individuals around the world who bring together science, hope, and action to create transform transformational change through Jane Goodall's Roots and Shoots program. The Stryker Johnston Foundation awards $12.4 million for early learning. The three-year grant for Early Learning Neighborhood Collaborative will launch the ELNC Kalamazoo, which will work to increase access to free, quality, early childhood opportunities in high-poverty neighborhoods. You can learn more about it on the Philanthropy News Digest. University of the District of Columbia receives $2 million gift. The largest private gift in UDC history will be used to create two scholarship programs under the DAWN, um, and that stands for Developing America's Workforce Nucleus Initiative, which was established earlier this year. Well, actually, not in 2022, but in 2021, by an anonymous donor, by the way. And then Rhode Island Foundation awards $5.4 million in COVID-19 relief. Grants averaging from $32,000 will provide COVID-19 relief to more than 160 nonprofits working in the area of housing, behavioral health services, health care, job training, food and security, and child care, and so forth. Also from the Foundation Center, the Austin Russell Creates $70 million fund at the Central Florida Foundation. The contribution from Luminar Technologies founder and CEO Austin Russell will create a fund at CFF focused on investing in high-impact local and system-level improvements in Florida, as well as making bolder bets on broader scale on un underinvested opportunities. Also in the Chicago Community Trust, we rise together for 
and Equitable and Just Recovery Initiative awarded grants in support of seven community-focused projects to provide access to much-needed services as identified by residents, such as child care, recreation, and health care, and so forth. But they were awarded $6.7 million to the Childhood Neighborhood Anchor Project. Also, Jewish Queer Youth receives $1 million gift to expand social services. The gift from Paul Austin and his partner, Dalip Gurdar, will support the expansion of JQY's Drop-In Center initiative to local Orthodox communities in New Jersey, Baltimore, Chica Baltimore, Chicago, and South Florida, as well as the increase of staffing in the organization cross crisis phone line. Hillcorp Energy employees received 25000 philanthropic bonus. Hillcorp will provide nearly $50 million to its employees. The majority of them live in Alaska to give nonprofits of to give to nonprofits of their choice. We're going to need to take another quick commercial break and we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School. At One Day University, we feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly scholar newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com. The world's fastest-growing, video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully-accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. Hello, welcome back. This is the New Heights Show on Education, and I'm your host, Pamela Clark. We're covering um, educational topics that are in the news. And the next one I have for you is from Fee again. And it says, Four Positive Education Trends to End in 2021. This was written by Carrie McDonald. And it can be found on fee.org. Let's see here. Okay, so here are four positive educational trends to celebrate, they say. Government-run schools are losing students. <laughs> I'm sorry. I concur. I agree. I, I know that may sound bad, and it's not the teacher's fault. We support teachers, but government-run schools, no. Um Compulsory schools, no. Why do I say that? Because schools and education are not the same thing. Schooling and education is not the same thing. Education does not happen in school. Doesn't that sound odd? Visit our website. Go to school.newheightseducation.org. That's our learning annex. And watch some of the videos that we recommend 
and look up John Taylor Gatto and educate yourself on why I'm saying this. So anyways, an in-depth NPR analysis published this month revealed that many public schools are seeing declining enrollment for the second year in a row. The dip was understandable during the 2020 to 2021 school year, academic year, as many schools remained closed. But this year's continued decline is striking. Many of these students left their district school for homeschooling, private and parochial schools, and charter schools, or their parents delayed their kindergarten entry. Microschool networks are also booming now with an influx of new students. According to NPR, we, and this is a quote, we compiled the latest headcount data directly from more than 600 districts in 23 states and Washington, D.C., including statewide data from Massachusetts, Georgia, and Alabama. We found that very few districts, especially the larger ones, have returned to pre-pandemic numbers. Most are now posting a second straight year of declines. This is particularly true in some of the nation's largest systems. This mirrors data I've been reporting on this fall showing an ongoing exodus from government-run schools. What's your opinion on this? Why do you think this is happening? I mean, I, I know a whole bunch of reasons why it's happening, but, uh, you know, feel free to share your thoughts as well. Number two from this article, homeschooling numbers remain high. The NPR re report acknowledged that the growing acceptance and ease of remote work has led more parents to consider the homeschool option for their children. But it's not just the professional Zoom class of parents that is going this educational route. An Education Week report from the fall of 2020 found that the biggest growth in homeschooling last year was among low-income families. These families were likely heavily concentrated in urban areas that experienced the longest school closures and the most remote learning failures. As I've reported previously, the U.S. Census Bureau recorded a doubling of the homeschooling rate in 2020 alone to more than 11% of overall school-age population. The rate of black homeschooling families grew five-fold last year, according to the sentence, census, sentence, <laughs> census, <laughs> with black homeschooled students now overrepresented in the U.S. homeschooling population compared to public schools. The separate NPR article this month explained that this surge in black homeschooling families is ongoing. Number three, school 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 choice, excuse me, policies are expanding. The coronavirus response re-empowered parents in remarkable ways. Prolonged remote schooling gave them a close look at what was actually happening in their children's classrooms and prompted them to investigate other educational options, including homeschooling. Pandemic pods and microschools, private schools, charter schools, and high-quality private and virtual learning programs. Along with this renewed parental control came a push for expanded school choice policies. It's been a year of school choice, with many states introducing or expanding school choice legislation that allows education dollars to follow students instead of funding bureaucratic school systems. 
Recent arguments before the U.S. Supreme Court suggest further expansion of education choice for families. Um, now I will say as well, before I go on to number four, that um, our virtual learning program is absolutely amazing. Um, and we invite you to check it out. Um, I already gave you our website and it's easy to access, but um, our Learning Annex offers over 1,280 free and discounted courses, and our membership for site access to free courses is only $6 a month per family. It's everybody living in your household, so um, you really want to check that out because we've done a lot of work to bring a lot of tools and courses to people. Okay, so number four. Federalism is alive and well. <clears throat> the federal government tries to exert control over state policies, particularly related to vaccine requirements on private businesses. The past year has shown that American federalism, or the decentralization of power to the state and local levels, is strong and effective. Perhaps nowhere is this more apparent then in data showing that individuals are exiting cities and states with most restrictive coronavirus policies and entering areas that have remained relatively open. So there's more to this, um, but that's the four. And we are going to be sharing this on our blog as well, but you can find it um, if you don't see it already on our blog. Um, which I should be able to do fairly quickly, but probably in the next day or two. Um, but you'll be able to look it up on fee.org anytime. And it's titled four, but it's not spelled out. It's the number four positive education trends to end in 2021. Okay, just a moment. Um, I'm going to give, hold on a second, I guess I talked about this on the last episode, which was just about Hillsdale College, and they offer a lot of free online classes um, through our website, through their website as well, but um, you may want to check them out. I mean, they're, they're absolutely fabulous. They're, the work they're doing is just crucial. Um, and we're partnered with them and we have been for many years and we just think a lot of them. I think a lot of them. So if you're looking for something, um, for your high school or even middle schooler, but I would suggest high school level, then you may want to check that out. Okay. Um, see how much time we have left. I think we're running out. We only have a few more moments. Okay, um, this is from, excuse me, this is from PND, which is the foundationcenter.org. And it's, it's a foundation office at Fifth Third Bank awards $5.2 million. Grants were awarded by eight family foundations in support of arts and culture, 
affordable housing and civic community programs, education, health and human services, community reinvestment activities that benefit low to moderate income earners, financial literacy, small businesses, workforce development efforts, and, um, sorry, and, yeah, and, and workforce development efforts. So if you want to learn about that, that's on the Philanthropy News Digest. Also, Child Abuse Network raises $5 millions for expansion project. Lead pledges in support of a facility expansion project project include $1 million from the Anne and Henry Zaro Foundation and $750,000 each from Charles and Len Shusterman Family Philanthropies and the Morning Crest Healthcare Foundation. Texas A&M University Commerce received a $1 million grant. The endowment includes a student scholarship fund for first-generation students from rural, rural Northeast Texas. So you can look up Texas A&M or um, the Philanthropy News again for um, information about that one. And I must say that as I try to organize all this information, there's so much that comes in. So if some of it is a little older, it's because the massive amounts of information that we're getting in. And we share them in the order that we've received the news because it would be very confusing otherwise. And of course, if it's a major news story, we'll try to cover it. But again, it, it floods in from so many sources and these are all trusted sources that we trust and bona fide organizations or whatever that we're partnered with or, and not necessarily um, back because some of it even comes from, you know, state, local, government, or, I mean, we, we trust that the information they're saying is the way they're saying it, but I'm just we're reporting the news, how we receive it. Um, right. I will share maybe one or two more. Um, I have South Carolina bill will mandate manufacturing classes. Middle and high schools in South Carolina would be required to offer at least one course in advanced manufacturing and harbor pilotage under legislation introduced by state lawmakers. Supporters say that the legislation will help prepare students for well-paying careers in the trades. The full, the full story can be found in Charleston, South Carolina on the WCSC television site. So you can check that out if you want to learn more about that or if you live in that area. Okay. We check our time again. Not that I want to say goodbye to you, but I do try to stick close to the hour. And it is a little over now. So 
I thank you all for listening. Share with your friends, leave feedback, send us an email. Love to hear from you. Um, share news stories with us that um, you think other people should know. Maybe things happening in your own communities, with your own school boards. Whatever you'd like to share, um, if you'd like to be on the show, if, if you're facing something in your own community and, and the news won't pick it up, we'll pick it up. We're happy to share. Um, love to hear from you. So until next time, have a good one. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings. Imagine your new bathroom. A sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels.